Ninja. Hi and welcome to Geography Ninja and um, today we're talking about Saudi oil drone attacks and choke points and um, this is this is really from the 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 drone attacks that happened on the 14th of September 2019 at the the Saudi Aramco uh, oil processing facility at Abqaiq in Saudi Arabia which is apparently the world's largest oil processing plant and um, this was an attack by uh, by drones and some cruise missiles um, and it also hit the the Quraysh oil field in the east of Saudi Arabia and it's led to a really big interruption of um, of oil coming out of Saudi Arabia it was estimated about 5.7 million uh, barrels of oil been interrupted and uh, per day that that is and oil prices ended up about 15% higher within 24 hours of the um, of the drone strike so um, I, th I thought we'd, we'd take a look at this because it's such a major event and uh, oil and energy are really at the heart of how the global economy works so I thought we could look at a few things we could look at how Saudi uh, Arabia Saudi Arabia's oil uh, operates really how how Saudi Arabia works like that um and but I thought we'd also look at the idea of choke points because there are a lot of other things going on in this part of the world and um talking to you in September 2019 when we've got just recently had the the global climate strikes and um you know oil is is a, a big issue uh, because of its contribution to to climate change, so there's maybe lot, lots of things cha changing here as well. So, okay, well let's let's start off just by thinking about um, the the immediate implications uh, and the longer term implications of this this drone strike in in Saudi Arabia. So it's coming at a time of heightened tensions um, around the Persian Gulf, and the uh, initial blame has was well it, the initial blame was actually put on Yemen's Houthi rebels who Saudi Arabia at the moment are involved in a in in conflict within within Yemen um so there's been about 4 years of conflict with Saudi Arabia's involvement through um airstrikes and so on uh, the the Houthi rebels um, claimed responsibility for the the strikes, but subsequently um, blame has been pointed directly at Iran, and there has been a bit of a standoff in the in the Gulf over recent months, um, particularly between the U.S. and and Iran. So that that's all there as a backdrop to this situation. In you know in the best of times, this is in a in a quite a volatile uh, region. Uh, in terms of geopolitics. So anyway, back to the, the Abcake facility and um, to, together with the Quraysh oil field, this accounts for something like about 50% of Saudi Arabia's oil output. And that's equivalent to about 5% of daily global oil production. And analysts have suggested that it could, could potentially be weeks before production is back to normal, back online. Uh, as as it uh, as it should be, um, now 
some quite interesting research that's come out. It's published on the BBC, but I think it originated from the International um, Energy Agency. And this was showing the the impact of previous oil production shocks. So they they go back to the the Arab-Israeli War of 1973-74. Now, this was really the, the original oil shock because... Um, as a result of um, a drop in oil production, this, this actually tilted the global economy into recession during the mid-1970s. Um, it went down by 4.3 million barrels of oil per day. That was in 1973-74. Then a few years later, 1979, you had the Iranian Revolution, um, this sort of Islamic revolution in in Iran. Now, there, at that point, uh, that was an oil production shock because oil production went down by about five point six million barrels per day. And um, following that, you had the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait by Saddam Hussein. This is nineteen ninety nineteen ninety one. Um, that also affected oil production by about four point three million barrels. Per day, and then the most recent figure was two thousand and three, and this was the um, the invasion of Iraq by the U.S. and and the uh, coalition, including the U.K., which put oil production down by approximately two point three million barrels a day. So when you look at it in that context, um, the impact of the the strikes in Saudi Arabia at five point seven million barrels a day. It's substantial that that impact, and I think one of the things that it's really brought to light is the vulnerability of Saudi oil production, um, particularly if there is potential conflict with um, Iran. So, um, yeah, the the disruption apparently, um, if if it lasts for maybe five or six weeks. Um, it could send the oil price even higher. So I said earlier that it's, it went up by about 15%. Um, over the last decade, decade and a half, it's, it's always been around the 60 to $65 per barrel. Um, one commodities strategist suggested it could go over $75 a barrel um, if the, the disruption was to continue. In the news. In the news. In the news. In the news. Okay, so hopefully you're you're still with me at this point um, so far. So look, we're going to talk about the Strait of Hormuz. And the, the reason we're going to talk about this is because earlier in 2019, this, this very strategic part of the Persian Gulf, the southern end of the Persian Gulf, um, was in the news when four oil tankers were attacked. And the the United States has blamed... Iran for this. So the the Strait of Hormuz is what what we geographers may call a choke point. So you know energy has to travel from where it's produced to where the demand is, um, and the 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 route that we call the uh, the route taken by uh, the transport to get oil from point A to point B is known as an an energy pathway. So the Strait of Hormuz is is a very well-known choke point. So it's about 96 miles long 
Um, at its narrowest, it's a, something like 21 miles wide. Now, bear in mind that on one side of the Strait of Hormuz, you have Iran. So on the northern uh, coastline, you have Iran. To the south, you have the much smaller uh, Gulf states of Oman and the United Arab Emirates. And within that, that strait, you've got something like about a fifth of global oil um, is travelling through there with something like 21 million barrels of oil per day in 2018 was being transported through the Strait of Hormuz. This is oil coming from places like Saudi Arabia and being exported through to, um, well, largely through to China, India, Japan and South Korea, but also some to the USA. Um, now, why, why is the Strait of Hormuz so important and why do we call it a choke point? Well, a choke point is where um, an area narrows. It's like a bottleneck. So it's somewhere where, where the, the, the flow, the pathway of oil can be held up in some way. So bear in mind that the Strait of Hormuz, it has shipping lanes in each direction where you have oil tankers uh, going to fill up or they're exporting uh, oil to, um, to Asia. It's only two miles wide at that point in those those shipping lines uh, lanes rather so um, that's why it's known as a choke a, a choke point it's a fact now there are other choke points globally we said the strait of hormuz is probably the the one that's best known but several others as well so in southeast asia um, around singapore and um, indonesia and malaysia you have the strait of malacca um, which is a which is a bit small. You've got a, approximately sixteen million barrels of oil per day passing through that particular choke point. The Suez Canal um, in Egypt is another one, uh, totaling around six million barrels of oil per day. Um, you've also got one called the the Bab el uh, Mandeb, which is at the uh, the southern end of the Red Sea. So you've got about 5 million barrels of oil per day going through that one. And then um, in the Western Hemisphere, you have the Panama Canal, uh, which, which has about a million uh, barrels of oil per day travelling through it. So these sort of choke points are really a across the, the planet and they can hold up the flow of energy. Um, if we just think about you know, this idea of pathways... Uh, which we said earlier is the, 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 the route taken for energy to move from, from one place to another. Um, pathways don't have to be on sea routes, uh, on shipping, shipping lanes and so on. So uh, you can have pipelines, uh, which are also energy pathways. So oil and gas can flow quite easily through a pipeline. So a really well-known example of that would be the Trans-Alaskan oil pipeline, uh, which runs north to south through the state of Alaska, so sort of taking the oil down to um, to be lo uh, loaded onto uh, tankers and so on. You've got um, oil and gas pipelines crisscrossing uh, parts of Siberia, uh, Russian gas and oil going into Eastern Europe and into to Germany, and we've got um, gas pipelines and oil pipelines going across um, areas of Central Asia and through Turkey as well. So pathways, they are potentially quite vulnerable 
and prone to potential disruption. So sometimes that disruption can be um, through physical factors, and we, we might be talking about you know difficult terrain, climate conditions, um, tectonic activity. So some pipelines may cross sort of earthquake zones and so on, and could be could be disrupted and broken by that. But also human factors um, can come into play. So I, I do remember reading once, I can't remember what, what the source was, so apologies for that, but how you know an oil pipeline could easily be uh, disrupted by a few pounds of plastic explosive and a camel. So, you know, these are often in very remote locations and it's impossible really to, to protect every inch of um, an oil pipeline. All right then, so I'm um, just going back to our Strait of Hormuz. Um, so this is, um, we said the shipping lanes are, are potentially very very narrow and um, the other point of it is that all of those shipping lanes are in uh, the territorial waters that are owned by Iran and Oman. So the the UN rules that countries can control up to 12 nautical miles from their from their coastline. So because this strait is so narrow it never really gets fully into international waters. So that you know, strategically, it becomes then a very important location in terms of geopolitics, not just of those those players in and around the Persian Gulf, but because of the nature of oil exports and the global economy, it, it becomes a global issue. All right, well, let's leave that to one side uh, for, a, for a moment. And what I would like just to have it to think about is... Saudi Arabia itself and Saudi Saudi oil, because um, Saudi oil is under the control of the state-owned oil and gas company called Saudi Aramco, and um, Saudi Aramco own the Abkate processing facility that was hit by the um, the drone attack on fourteenth uh, of September. So Saudi Arabia is, um, for many years, I've always thought Saudi Arabia is like the top global oil producer. And um, it's it's certainly, it is up there in, in the top few. The top three really are always Saudi Arabia, USA and Russia. However, Saudi Arabia is said to have the world's um, second largest proven crude oil reserves um, something in excess of 270 billion barrels of oil. So we are, we're talking of huge quantities of oil. Um, and the um, Saudi Aramco operate the Gawar field, which is the world's largest onshore oil field, as well as the um, Safania field, which is the largest offshore one um, altogether, Saudi Aramco manages about a hundred different oil fields. Um, now, Saudi Arabia also is the world's largest, what they call a swing producer, and what that means is they're able to either decrease or increase oil production to try and keep the oil price stable. So they have got that capacity to, you know, open the taps or close them a little bit in order to try and maintain that stable. Uh, stability of oil because oil prices can notoriously can be quite volatile 
Uh, in other words, you know, otherwise they can they can go up, they go down, uh, depending on what else is going on in the global economy. So Saudi Arabia's reserves have been a very well kept secret actually for most of the twentieth century. Um, in fact, up to very very recently, so there was no independent verification of Saudi Arabia's uh, reserves until really earlier this year. Um, back in two thousand and four, there was a suggestion. Uh, that Saudi Arabia had hit peak oil production. In other words, you know, more, um, it had reached its maximum level of production and was starting to go into decline. And peak oil production is a, a well-known phenomenon. So you could take an example of uh, the North Sea um, oil fields between the UK and and Norway. Now that is said to have reached peak production around 1999 um, and oil produced from the North Sea every year since then the, the quantity has got smaller and smaller. So there was a concern that Saudi Arabia was going through that same sort of process and it was that was really intensified by the fact that there was no independent verification of their reserves. So it was only earlier in 2019 that there was finally an independent evaluation of Saudi Arabia's proven reserves. Ooh, that's quite interesting. So, you know, what does Saudi Arabia do at this point? You know, how, how does it protect its oil fields? How does it protect its processing facilities? Does the US um, and allies get involved trying to um, keep shipping lanes open in the Strait of Hormuz. There's a lot of unanswered questions um, about this. The, the Saudis, presumably, the last thing that they would want to do is escalate the situation because I think the um, the drone attacks have really have shown up some degree of vulnerability um, there. But it's, it's clearly a very, very sensitive situation and really presumably making a lot of countries think, well, is, you know, what are the alternatives to getting oil and gas from the Middle East? But I think that's not going to change any time soon um, for the reasons that we've, we've just been, been talking about. So it's, uh, it's going it's to be an interesting one to watch. I'm still waiting to see how the attacks might feed through into you know, what consumers are paying for their energy, but we're, we're going to have to wait and see. So anyway, this is uh, Geography Ninja, and I think we'll, we will finish off there. Hopefully it's given you a few, few things to think about, even if it's, um, you know, well, all that oil, maybe they should just leave it where it is and, you know, let's, let's all make a transition to, to renewables and go, go carbon neutral. Uh, you know, we've just had the global climate strike. So there's, there's a, a lot of things to think about. Uh, with that one. Anyway, I will stop there and um, see you again soon. Goodbye.